Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. Well, the poet Robert Burns once wrote a poem, well, it was entitled, To a Mouse. Uh, maybe a strange thing to entitle a poem to, but uh, in the 17, about 1785, Robert Burns in Scotland was, was plowing ground, and as he was doing so, not in a tractor like uh, my son-in-law, for example, who was sitting high above in an enclosed tractor and going at like 15 miles an hour with a swath that's 20 to 30 feet wide, probably a single row that he was going and walking behind his horse. And, and as he was plowing the ground, he, uh, well, he upset a mouse's nest and uh, undoubtedly stopped to consider what he had done and, and uh, was so uh, perplexed or moved by that that he wrote a poem. And uh, the poem is called to a mouse, and the subtitle is On Turning Up her, in Her Nest with the Plow. And as he writes this, he is considering what has happened to this mouse. This mouse was planning for the winter and had set the nest up and everything, and, and here comes this guy wreaking havoc on her life. The nest that she had set and prepared, it was destroyed. And as he thought about this, towards the end of the poem, he, he, he writes these words, but mousy, thou art no thy lane, in proving foresight may be vain. So uh, you are not alone. <laughs> in proving foresight might be vain. Uh, the best laid schemes, O mice and men, often go awry and lead us not but grief and pain for promised joy. And as, as Burns is thinking about this mouse and and. This mouse had great plans for the winter and, and was all prepared and, and to enjoy the peace and the, the warmth of her nest for the winter. And, well, these best laid plans of mice and men often go awry and uh, uses this as a, as, a, as a touch point for our own lives. As he thinks, you know, you're not alone in this, mouse, because the same things happen to us. Sometimes we have plans that are just, they're solid, they're rock solid, and something comes and upsets them. And, and that which was going to bring us joy, this, the promised joy of this plan that's well set, now leaves us with grief and pain because it's been dashed to pieces by this. Uh, this is sometimes our life, isn't it? Sometimes as we live our lives, we think we have everything set and, and put in order and, and ready to go, and, and something happens to destroy it. Maybe we've got our own nest egg all planned and prepared, and we're earning our, our 3 to 6 to 10% on it, and all of a sudden there is some kind of economic crash, and all of it comes crashing down, and it's gone. Or maybe something else happens in our life, an illness, or a fire burns our house and our property up, and all that we thought was, was set is no longer set. And, and how do we do that? The best laid plans of, of mice and men. Uh, we have been looking at the development of the Christian church 
as it's described in, in Luke's book describing that called the Acts of the Apostle. And as he writes about the things that have happened, we've seen a whole lot of ups and downs. We've seen the growth of the gospel, of the message of Jesus go f- from, from land to land, starting in Jerusalem with the disciples and then exploding around to Judea and Samaria. And then as we've seen Paul and Silas and Barnabas move from place to place, other people are hearing about this Jesus and, and there is great growth. But along the way, there are these hard and difficult things that happen as well. They face strident opposition by some. They, they face misunderstanding and conflicts even within. Blatant sin comes and visits them and, and threatens to destroy the things they're working on. Last week, we, we noted the, the split between Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas had taken this trip together and they told people about Jesus from place to place and, and faced some difficulty in doing so, but, but went through it together as they went. But after a council they had in, in Jerusalem, uh, they, they went back to their home base in Antioch and, and had this idea, let's go and, and, and rework the gospel and help encourage the churches we've started. And, and in setting out to do that, they, Barnabas is like, hey, let's take Mark with us. I know he left us uh, in the middle of our trip last time, let's take him. And Paul's like, no way. Well, I want nothing to do with him. And and uh, very disconcerting to see two brothers battle over this with such stridency that they split. But we see that still growth happens. Despite this conflict, uh, we also noted that eventually that much of this conflict gets resolved because Mark becomes an exceptionally important person to Paul down the line, uh, writing to others, telling him about him, or pleading that Mark might come be part of his ministry because he's such an encouragement. Uh, Nevertheless, ups and downs happen in ministry, and yet the ministry goes forward. God's word continues to go forward, and and, uh, that is some of what we see, but sometimes we have plans, and they don't go the way we think, which is where we enter the story again today. We are in Acts chapter 16, and and starting in verse 6, Having seen again that the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers, now as the story continues in verse 6, it says that Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, this would be modern-day Turkey, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And before we go, just want to stop there and, and consider what's going on there. I mean, they've got, well, they've got plans, right? They have this intention they're going to go and minister in some of these places, but they weren't allowed to. Uh, God, the Spirit of Jesus says, no, will not, I will not, you do not go in this area. And, and it's perplexing, isn't it? It's like, what, what happens? How does he know this? And, um, and certainly, what they were planning was good, right? 
I mean, this whole mission's plan was to tell people about Jesus, to go into other lands and help people see that, that Jesus is the promised Messiah that, 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 that the Jews had been waiting for, and this gift is extended to all people, that God loves you, and there's a way and a path to be connected with God. And, and so what could possibly get in the way of going to a place and not accomplishing the getting there because God says, no, you're not going there. We don't know. When there's nothing in the text that tells us this is how they knew that they weren't supposed to go there. But somehow, as they, as they were going on, there was some message they got that said, don't go there. It's, it's strange to try to discern how that happens. For example, how would we apply that in our life? How would we know something like that in our lives? What would we do about that? And, and, and I think, again, the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how God communicates with you, but I think one of the essential things is, on some level, they must have been listening and, and hearing that God said something clear to them about what they, he wanted them to do. And it was not to go in this direction. In my life, I, 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 the only stories that I can think of is, is, is how God has maybe challenged me in, in some ways and how I've known this is God. One of the, the big stories in my life was, was uh, when I was finishing up seminary, and I've told this story a, a couple of other times, I had prayed that I could go to Arizona. My mom and dad were in Arizona, and I wanted to be within two and a half, three hours from them and, and said, Lord, I'll go wherever you want. But if I could be two and a half, three hours away from Phoenix in the mountains, that'd be fantastic. His word says you do not have because you do not ask. So I'm like, I'm asking. And uh, as I came to the end of my seminary program, um, I was, uh, well, I, I contacted the district superintendent down in Arizona, and, and, and there, the church in Flagstaff was open. I'm like, in the mountains, to it. Yes, this is perfect. And, and so I applied for that. And, and at the same time, the church I was attending in, in Saskatchewan, uh, their pastor was leaving, and, and uh, they were kind of in, in a troubled state, and they, they'd asked me if I would be the interim pastor. And I said, okay, well, let me think about this. Give me the weekend to pray about it. And it was Thursday night that they asked me, and, and so, you know, God's got three days to come through for me and say no to this. And, uh, and so uh, that was Thursday night. On Friday morning in the mail, I got a letter from Flagstaff. It was in an envelope, but... It was really thin. It was one of those letters. It said, in essence, we have no interest in you whatsoever. God bless you. And so, okay, I guess Flagstaff's not an option. And we got to the end of the weekend, and, and I called my church chairman. I said, uh, uh, yes, I will, I will say yes to that. And that was Sunday night. On Monday morning, on Monday morning, I got a call from this guy named Dave, and he's like, hey, Rick, my name's Dave, and I'm in Sonoida, Arizona. We're about two and a half, three hours from Phoenix, up in the mountains at 5,000 feet with 10,000-foot mountains around us. And we, we're interested in if you'd be interested in coming here. And, and, I, and I take in the phone, and I'm like, are you serious? This could not happen to, like yesterday or Friday or today I get this phone call. Are you serious? And this is what I asked you for. And, and I get it today. And, and, 
And so the challenge for me then was, what do I do with this? I mean, this is what I wanted. This is what I was asking for. And it's right there for me. But 12 hours ago, I said yes. And, and so how do we discern this? Well, one of the things was we know the scriptures, right? Uh, we know what God calls us to in terms of character and life and, and, in, and getting to know who God is and his character. Well, we take those into account. And, and uh, Jesus at some point says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And, and, and I'm thinking, I got to say no because I said yes. And in the end, it became simple to discern what was the right thing to do to honor God in this, to say no to my dream job because if I'm going to follow God at all, my word must mean something. If I say yes, then it means yes. And so for me, that's how I discerned following the leading of the Spirit in this moment. And I said no to something that I kind of wanted to say yes to. And eventually began a ministry there in, in that church in Saskatchewan. Now, the other side of that is nine months later, uh, having done the term as the interim pastor, the church in Sonoida, Arizona came back to me and asked if I was still interested. Uh, they had gone through some adjustments, and I eventually ended up down there, which was, it was a great spot for me. I loved that ministry down there, but I had had to say no to it, even though eventually I ended up there. But that's at least a little picture of what it looks like to try to discern when God is saying yes and no to things. This was on some level, who are you and what does your word mean as you approach these things? And so for Paul and Silas and those who are with them, they, they had some message. How they got it, we don't know. And, and how you will deal with a message like that, I don't know, except that we stay in tune with God. We listen and we understand what his word talks about. We understand what it means to be followers of the Lord, what character and integrity mean to us as we live our lives and, and make choices and decisions. So they had good, good intentions, but they were denied. And there was something else. And apparently that something else became fairly crystal clear to them because as the passage goes on and starting here in verse 9, they bypassed Mycenae again and were down in the town called Troas. And during the night in verse 9, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace and the next day on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and her, the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. 
She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl shouted Paul, this girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Christ Jesus, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them out into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews, and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prisoners, prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell felt trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, Release those men. The jailer told Paul, The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. So lots of things going on there, obviously. We have this story of of them being denied a couple places to go, and then Paul has a vision. And in this vision, there's a man saying, come help us in Macedonia. And, and as he relates this story, this vision, he'd gotten, we've seen other visions in the text of the Acts of the Apostles and, and how God was calling the church to learn and discover and to go in new places. Now there is this vision of a man in Macedonia. And, and so they head off towards the coast, and, and they needed to... to to sail across the sea um, just a short way to to get to Macedonia. And they end up in a place called Philippi. And as they end up in Philippi, they they begin to, well, they begin to look for a place of prayer. Uh, Interestingly, in in other passages, like if you look in chapter 14 and verse 1, uh, you see that the custom that Paul and others had was to go to the synagogue 
because that was just a great place. They could meet with fellow Jews and they could talk about the Messiah, Jesus, who had come and, and help them to see and discover who God was through Jesus. Uh, later on in the next chapter, in chapter 17, the same thing happens. As they're going into the city, well, their custom was, let's go to the synagogue. It, and yet when they get to Philippi, apparently there's no synagogue because it was their custom to go to the synagogue. But if there's not one there, what do they do? And apparently they went looking for places where, where spiritual people would go, a place that would be a place of prayer. So they go by the river, and, and there they encounter uh, several people who have gathered there, several women who were gathered, uh, one of them uh, named Lydia, who uh, becomes a, a person of, of, of some standing. She is a businesswoman dealing in purple. Purple was uh, a fairly exotic, expensive uh, fabric and color to be dealing with. And so she was noted for this. And, and as, as it talks about her background, she was a believer in God, uh, undoubtedly in Thyatira, which was back over that same sea that they had just crossed over in this area in modern-day Turkey. Uh, she had come to know God through some, of, some kind of ministry, possibly a synagogue there, but now was living in Philippi. And they help make this connection. As she talks about Jesus, uh, she comes to believe and gets baptized with her whole family. And, and we see that in preaching the gospel and telling people about God, sometimes we use different methods because we use what's available to us. There was no synagogue there, so they had to make an adjustment can't go there, so where do we do? Well, where is another place we can begin talking with people about these most important things in the world, about God and his love and his work for us in Jesus? And they found Lydia and those others there and talked with them about what it means to come to faith. And she responds and others with her and, and invites them into their home and and. And this is a great thing. The God had led them to Macedonia, and, and people are coming to faith, and, and they're continuing to go out. And as they're going on, we have this other story about this young girl shouting at them, following them around, saying, these are the, they're telling you about the Most High God. That's, he's their servants, and, and they're telling you how to be saved. And, you know, and there's certainly nothing in what she's saying that to us would say, like, well, what's wrong with that? Except that... Uh, Having this, this, this spirit that sh- for which she tells fortunes, um, there was something about this testimony and the way that she was shouting at them, almost disrupting them as they're telling and uh, traveling around. And so Paul commands the spirit to go. And uh, as you noted in the story and we talked about with the kids, this angered her owners and to the point where uh, they brought him to the marketplace and had them beaten and accused him of, of, of putting the town in an uproar. And so the magistrates have him flogged and thrown in jail. And, and, and you know, as I think about this, and obviously they were listening to the Spirit's call and, and, and went there and, and following along. But uh, now again, they're facing trouble because of the gospel again. And at this point, uh, again, maybe the question would be for you and I, do we get this wrong? <laughs> I mean, here we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And uh, again, uh, we've talked about in previous passages where Paul was stoned, for example, and beaten and flogged. This idea of being flogged, you know, for us, it's just a word and we read the next sentence and go on. But do we ever consider 
what the dynamics of being flogged is. I mean, severely flogged, whipped so much that, that uh, undoubtedly you would be bleeding profusely, beaten, and so much that you would, you would be bruised and, and even concussed, and then they're put in jail, and, and with these wounds are put in stock so that they can't even move about freely as these wounds continue to, to, to hurt. And, and, and I would be like, God, what's going on here? We're doing what you want us to do. Paul and Silas, they pray and they sing. And in their praising God and in their singing, uh, they are lifting the name of the Lord. They don't know why this is happening, but they still continue to put their trust in God in whatever is happening here. And, and as they're singing and others are listening to them, and certainly the jailer would have been hearing them as well, this earthquake happens and, and the doors get flown open and, and the chains amazingly as well gets, get thrown off of them. And, and at that point, I would be thinking, well, maybe there's a sign we should leave. <laughs> Let's go. And for some reason, they stay. Uh, maybe they knew that the cost that would face the jailer if all his prisoners left. Uh, we'd seen people released from jail before. Uh, Peter was released. An angel brought him out and walked past everyone and, and was freed. But somehow, again, Paul and Silas, they stay there. And when the jail is about to, to kill himself with his sword, uh, they scream out, No, no, we're still here. We're, we've not gone. And for the jailer, amazement, and comes to them and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And in this very odd and strange and difficult and painful time for them, God even uses that to continue to extend the kingdom doesn't seem right or fair. doesn't seem like what, that's what Paul and Silas are concerned about. Because in this, they tell, well, oh, you must believe in the Lord Jesus. And they talk with him. And, and this guy brings them to their home, his home and, and takes care of those wounds, those very painful wounds. Let's not forget that these wounds would have, they'd have hurt a lot. It would have been ongoing pain. If they'd had fabric on them, it would have been horrible. But he cared for them. And then eventually the magistrates, uh, they listened undoubtedly to some of the, the testimony of, of what they were doing and figure there's nothing to keep these guys for and release them. At which point Paul says, hey, we're Roman citizens. You can't just do that. Uh, don't think you can just get rid of us. You're going to have to escort us out of here yourselves. And, and, and so that's what they do. But as I think of this story, and, and again, these stories are, are given to us to, to see what, what God's church and our brothers and sisters have gone through, what it's taken for the gospel to continue forward, oftentimes with great difficulty and yet in amazing ways, with miraculous things happening, people coming to faith in new and fresh ways, in different ways. God's working still, maybe in not ways that we would anticipate, but still he is drawing people to himself. And uh, as we consider that and think through our own lives, what is it that God 
well, maybe doing through us. Because if this message of God's love, which comes to us, which we've been told about and, and, and many of us have received, well, what do we do with it now? He's called us to be in this world. Paul, as he writes uh, to a letter to the, the Ephesian church some time later, he reflects on, uh, though we've been saved by grace, we are now God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God planned for us in advance. That's Ephesians 2.10. God has a plan for you. You are an instrument. You are useful to him. You are valuable to him. There's something he is doing, and no matter what's going on in your life and the circumstances you find yourselves in, God knows where you're at, and God is continuing to do a work even in those moments. What is that for you? I don't know. But God still works. There's a story of a of a minister in, in Iran. Uh, his name is Saeed Abedini. And Pastor Abedini is a former Muslim. And he was used by God to help found more than 100 house churches in 30 cities in Iran. Uh, total of about 2,000 members in those churches. And, and he, is in, he and his wife were forced to move from Iran to, to the United States in two, 2005 when Mahmoud Ahmadinejad rose to power, and the situation became dangerous for them, and then went back to visit family in 2012. And at that time, Abedini was arrested and thrown into prison, where he went, underwent horrific torture and isolation for three years. Three years. He goes back to visit family and is thrown in jail, beaten and tortured for three years. But as his story goes on, even then, God was doing something. During his first year in prison, he led 10 inmates to Christ. Uh, In that desperate situation, continued to testify about hope, even though things were hard and difficult. All that to say that Uh, the best laid plans of mice and men, the best laid plans of things that we think we want to accomplish and do, sometimes they go awry. And while it may seem that grief and pain are there instead of the promised joy, as we understand God's working in our life, even in those plans that have gone awry, God works. God knows who we are. God knows where we are and will continue to do a work in us but also through us as we continue in hard times, continue to praise, pray, and sing. I don't know what's going on in your life. Here you are in this time and this place, yet God has a call for you to know him, to love him, but also to testify to others that he still is living and working. What is that for you? How can we discover that? We pray. We listen. We know his word. And listen for the call he has for us. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, again, we come 
looking at your word and, and realizing once again that sometimes you don't make it very easy, and yet you still do a work. Thank you for our brothers who continue to demonstrate faith and hope and dependence on you and in very difficult circumstances. As they live out things that Jesus promised would happen to us, that we would be hated and and beaten and, and tossed in jail. Yet your message matters so much. Your message of love and restoration in a world which is oftentimes blinded from your goodness and your graciousness. We have a story to tell. Lord, we ask that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you're doing in around us, that we might be faithful to you no matter what's going on, no matter where we're at, that we may glorify you in all, that we may praise you and sing praises to you and see the work that you're going to do in us and through us. We lift ourselves before you, asking for your guidance and wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you this day. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.